We're going to read in God's Word from Ephesians 5, from verse 25. Um, We said it's Paul's call to husbands, and it certainly is that. Uh, The first bit that we looked at last time was uh, relating to wives this week. It's relating to the duties of a husband. I said to Elaine tonight, you're looking very tired. I think you should take a night in. And she believed me. (laughs) Okay. Um, It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's just come and pray. Father, we just thank you that your word is concerned about every aspect of our lives. It's about making sure that as your people that we understand who Jesus is and what he did for us, the life he calls us to, but then it's about making sure that we apply that to every area of life. So Lord, we pray, help us to take this word to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to begin like last week with a little story about a couple who'd been married for over 50 years and this marriage had been a largely happy marriage except for a a temperamental difference that sometimes niggled away at the, the lady in this particular partnership. You see, her husband was a very hard-working, very faithful man, a man who in many practical ways demonstrated his care for his wife and for his family. But he was not a great communicator, nor was he one prone to great demonstrations of emotion. And this kind of bothered his wife, ate away at her, because she was an emotional and demonstrative person who considered herself to be a romantic and who longed to be romanced. But one day it finally got too much for this woman. And so she turned and remonstrated with her husband. Why is it you never tell me that you love me? Her husband thought about this for a minute or two and then made his reply. When we got married 50 years ago, I made a promise to love you, didn't I? Yes, came the reply. Well, then he said, if anything changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) The difference there is between not all, but so many men and women. Well, let me be honest. I don't think that it's right that a husband should not verbalize as well as demonstrate his love for his wife. But as someone who struggles to grasp the very concept of romance... Am I much better than that man? Sadly, I don't think I am. Not really. 
Well, starting last week and continuing now, we're looking in Ephesians 5, really at God's ideal for Christian marriage. And last week, we focused on the role of a wife within Christian marriage. And we saw that in, in Christian faith, in contrast to the prevailing cultures in New Testament times, in contrast to various other world religions then and now, that Christian faith is very clear on the fundamental equality and value and worth of women and men. That's the natural outworking of Paul's statement in Ephesians 5.21 as well as others that he made, but this one, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. This call to mutual submission must include men and women. And it has as its underlying assumption the fundamental equality of all human beings, regardless of race or gender or any other distinctive. But while Paul doesn't ask women in general to submit to men within the Christian community, yet he does call on wives to submit to their husbands within the particular of the marriage relationship. Why this distinction? Why? Well, because there is a distinction between who we are as people, and we've said we're all fundamentally equal, but as people we also fulfil various roles in life. And these particular roles do require, at times, a degree, an element of submission, a willingness, basically, in certain areas, to let others, to let someone else take the lead. Now, and this is what we're actually going to be focusing on later on this evening, this should never be abused by a husband. Should never be seen as a license to act as a domineering bully. And when that happens, when a man acts in that way, that is nothing to do with God's will for marriage. Rather, that's about sin. It's all about sin. And for a wife, having a submissive spirit, having an underlying willingness to give their husband some kind of position of leadership, for example, maybe giving way over a, a contentious issue, maybe after much discussion, where often minds are changed, but not always. This is enabled by the Holy Spirit. This is only possible when Ephesians 5, 18 is being lived out and when someone is, as Paul commands us, to be filled with the Spirit. And also this submission I believe, is an expression of it. It flows from a prior submission to the Lord himself. 5.22, it says, Husbands, sorry, why would I? I bet you wish it was like that. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In fact, the tense that, that Paul uses, he makes that statement, it suggests that the action of a free agent that this isn't something that's forced. That this isn't about subservience or subordination. No, rather that this flows naturally, inevitably, from a heart, a life that's been transformed by the Spirit of God. And that above all else, this is an act of obedience before anything else to God our King, who we love with all of our heart. With the result of this intended to be order in our relationships order and peace that is a reflection of the character 
of God. God, our creator, whose creation is a demonstration that he is a God of order. Our God of peace, whose presence in our hearts should bring peace into our lives and into our relationships. Well, as we said, tonight we're going to focus on the part husbands now are called to play in order for God's blueprint for marriage here in Ephesians 5 to be really brought into being and actually lived out. And basically, first, husbands are called to love. That's what it begins. That's how Paul opens this section. Husbands, love your wives. And that's the, the thread that then runs through and, and dominates this particular section of teaching. Love. But it's not just any kind of love that husbands are called to. No, it's, it's a very particular kind of love. Because you see that the Greek language in which Ephesians originally was written, the Greek language is a very rich language. It's capable of expressing subtleties of, of thought and, and emotion that English, quite simply, is not capable of. With this certainly being the case with love. And while there are a whole variety of various shades of meaning, there are four main Greek words for love. There's storge, which has as its main characteristic empathy. It's about feeling for somebody. It's about being ready to stand with somebody. Then there's filial love, love for our family, love for a friend. Then there's eros love, which is based on natural attraction, including physical attraction. But the word that Paul uses here, that he chooses to love, use for love, is a different word. It's a word that was unknown and certainly unused before the coming of Jesus Christ. And this word is agape. And it's a word, the word, that describes the love of God. It's a love that flows from the heart of God. And it's a love that's then seen in our lives when our hearts, by faith, are united, always imperfectly, but are united with his heart. And this is a love that is about sacrifice and self-giving. This is a love that's about putting the needs of others before our own. This is a love that's about loving someone, even when they're unworthy, ungrateful, undeserving. And this is the love that husbands are called to show towards their wife. This is the calling of Christian husbands. And as with a wife's submission, this, this call to love is actually only possible. Again, when Ephesians 5.18 is being lived out and when we are filled with the Spirit. You see, living like this isn't natural. It's supernatural, spiritual. As a Christian, we can. This is our privilege. We can live and love like this. But we have to choose. We have to freely choose to live like this. We have to decide by an act of the will to live like this. We've got to turn away from our sin. We've got to renounce our self-centered, sinful living and nature. And we have to yield to God. We've got to submit to God in our lives if we're going to be able to live like this. For then, you see, as we are yielded to God, 
as we are submitted to him, then he will fill us with his spirit. And he will give us all the power and all the resources we need to at least impart love like this. And you know, the tense in which this is put here by Paul makes it clear that this isn't a kind of one-off job. This isn't about deciding maybe one day that this is the kind of husband that I should be and making a commitment and then that's it, you know, job's done and everything will just from that point flow on from that one decision. No, because you see, the way Paul chooses to express this call to love here makes it clear that this is an ongoing process. That this is something that we need to keep coming back to. That we need to keep on recommitting ourselves. And that as we do, then we will grow. As we do, then we will more and more be filled with God's Spirit and be better equipped as the people of God, as he calls us to, as husbands, as men, as human beings. We will be better equipped to love At this point, I think it's appropriate to share with you a quote from Sinclair Ferguson. This is what he says. Did God give the wife or the husband the more demanding role in marriage? It seems to be assumed automatically today that Paul demanded that wives play the more difficult role. But now these words are set in an altogether different light. Husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. What Christian would claim that the believer has a more difficult difficult role than the Savior? Christ is the one called by his Father to sacrifice himself in love for us. We are the ones called to submit to him, which is the greater demand. And this brings us on to our second point, that first as husbands, the call is to love. Well, so secondly, the model is Christ, and particularly Christ's relationship with his church. Just listen again from verse 25 on. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, the fact that a husband is to love his, his wife selflessly, self-sacrificially, that we've just covered, we've just done that. But here, as Paul sets before us here, Christ as our model, Christ as the example we have to follow, here he moves on to the why. Why Christ loves the church as he does. What's motivating him, what he's seeking to achieve, and then later, as we'll see, he then applies this to the husband-wife relationship. Now, we'll look at that later, but first, we'll look at Christ, our model. And what are we told? What are we told here? We're told that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? Well, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present herself to himself, present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, what Paul is saying here is that God in Christ gave himself 
for the church. In order that by faith in him, in his sacrifice for us, as he gave his holy, perfect, sinless life to pay the price of our sin, that so, as we place our faith in him, we then exchange our unrighteousness for his righteousness. We then become holy in him. That is our position in God's eyes in Christ. But now you see, in this life, God continues in the Spirit to work in our lives, to work in our hearts in sacrificial love. And he does this to help us to grow, to help us to progress in holiness towards that holiness that's ours at the end, towards that now, to grow into that. Till at the end of this age, till when Christ returns, his church, his people, all of us who by faith belong to him are then presented to Christ perfect in holiness, radiant, without stain, wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. So you see then Christ's aim for the church, what he's seeking to achieve in the church is growth in holiness. Growth in our likeness to him in this life. Progressing towards that perfect holiness that is ours and that we'll know fully when he returns. Now, the picture that Paul draws here in these verses to get all this across, the kind of imagery that he uses, actually all ties in with what were common wedding practices in New Testament times. Where a bride would prepare herself before her wedding with a, a special bridal bath. And then the bridegroom, he would go along with his friends and go to her house and he would then take her back to his father's house, to his family home, to present her in all her beauty. And you see, all of this has got an Old Testament background as well because in the great prophetic book of Ezekiel, Israel, the people of God, is pictured at the time of our birth as being in a pitiful state. Pictured as being covered in blood, unwashed, uncared for, unclean. And because of that, rejected by everyone and then thrown out into a field to die. But then we're told that God saw her and God showed mercy on her. And that when she'd grown up, he made a covenant with her. He entered into a special relationship with her. He bathed her and he gave her costly jewels. He clothed her with the finest of clothes. It's not difficult, is it, to see how this is parallel with what God has done for us in Christ. That he has shown us mercy when we didn't deserve it. When we were unclean because of our sin. When because of our sin, we were far rejected from God, rejected by God, separated from his love in this life, and at the end of this life, facing only his judgment, an eternal separation from his love and from everything that is good. But then you see, in Christ, God stepped in. And undeserving, unworthy, ungrateful as we are, he paid the price of our sin. He acted to cleanse us from our sin. As he gave himself in all his glorious perfection for us on the cross, that he might then clothe us 
not in rich garments or in precious jewels, but in all his wondrous holiness. You see, this is what Paul holds before husbands as the model, the example of Christ, that they are then to transpose over into their attitude to, their relationship with their wife, seeking to help her to grow in Christ's likeness, seeking together to progress towards that perfect holiness that is ours in Christ, and that when we see him face to face, we will experience as ours, we will know as ours in all its glorious fullness. And there are two phrases, or at least a, a phrase and a word here, that really, I think, shine a light on and, and add colour to what Paul's saying. The phrase is verse 26. Cleansing her with the washing with water through the word. This, I believe, <coughs> refers to how our salvation is won. To how holiness becomes ours. As we are cleansed through faith in Christ from our sin. As we respond to the gospel as it's revealed to us through the word of God. This is where holiness begins. By the washing with water through the word. And this is also how we grow in holiness. How we continue in holiness. As we keep on trusting and keeping central the cleansing Christ won for us by his death. As we keep on seeking him in his word and living in obedience to what's revealed to us in the word. And then the word that, that shines a light here, the word is, is quite fittingly that word radiant in verse 27. That at the end of time, the church will be presented to Christ as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is what John Stott has got to say about this, about this word, radiant, is rooted in the Greek word for glory. This is what he says. Glory is the radiance, the shining forth and manifestation of his otherwise hidden being. So too, the earth's true nature will become apparent. On earth she is often in rags and tatters, stained and ugly, despised and persecuted. But one day she will be seen for what she is, nothing less than the bride of Christ, holy and without blemish, beautiful and glorious. It is to this constructive end that Christ has been working and continues to work. The bride does not make herself presentable. It is the bridegroom who labours to beautify her in order to present her to himself. His love and sacrifice, his cleansing and sanctifying of her, are all designed for her liberation and her perfection when at last he brings her to himself in her full glory. And that really brings us to where we're going to finish tonight, and that is with the application, the application to marriage of all that, that Paul has shared here of Christ's relationship with his church. And, and Paul puts it like this from verse 28 on. He says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it, cares for it, 
just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Now, as here, Paul seeks to apply the model of Christ's love for the church to the love that a husband should have to his wife. Well, you know, as you look at it, it does seem a bit of a serious downgrade, doesn't it? They speak about this in terms of a husband loving his wife as he loves his own body. And then elaborating on that. Now, now some see this as Paul engaging in realism. That this is Paul quite simply using a a practical, real-life, down-to-earth illustration to get across to husbands how they should care for and love their wives. You see, it's a fact, isn't it? That most people do take care of themselves. The vast majority do seek to protect themselves and do, to some extent or another, seek to do the best for themselves. And what Paul here then is seeking to get across is that husbands should care for their wives at least as much as they care for themselves. Well, I'm sure that at least something of this lies behind what Paul says here. But there's also surely something of the depth of the intention behind marriage hinted at here that's brought more out into the opening in verse 31. That verse that takes us right back to the origin of marriage in Genesis 2, 24, as part of God's creation. Now, having created man and woman, God then said, decreed, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. God's intention then is that marriage should bring two people into the deepest union that's possible. Physical, emotional, spiritual, everything. I mean, in verse 31, where Paul quotes Genesis 2.24, the word he uses for united there, that a man shall be united to his wife, this isn't talking about some kind of casual coming together. Something temporary, or something like, you know, two bits of bread being stuck together to make a sandwich. Now, this is about two things being glued together, being cemented together, even being welded together. It's about two separate things joined together in an unbreakable bond. That's how God sees marriage. So then, for a husband to love his wife as his own body, should be a natural thing because we become one in marriage. And not to do so, well, you see, there's a sense that that is ludicrous. It goes against the grain of God's intention for marriage, of his intention for humanity. But, you know, there's something bigger, I believe, that we always have to keep in mind as we seek to apply God's call to husbands in marriage, to apply it to our life, and that is that this is always to be set against the backdrop, and that's what Paul makes clear, the backdrop of Christ's love for the church. That's always to be seen as its defining standard. Talking of, you know, loving our wives as we love our own bodies, that's a way, I think, of trying to break this down and try to bring it into what's our real-life reality. But this is always only meant to be a kind of word bridge that takes us to the ultimate standard of Christ's love for the church. That, I believe, is is what Paul is actually underlining here 
When he adds to this quotation in verse 31 of Genesis 24, 2.24, God's creation attention for marriage, when he adds what at first glance seems to be an almost disjointed, kind of out-of-place comment, he goes on, this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. You see, that's a reminder, I believe. That's an underlining of the fact that a marriage between a man and a woman is at its best a model of, a pointer to, what is always the ultimate standard of love, Christ's love for the church. But what does it mean for a husband, for a man to love his wife as he loves himself? What does it mean for a man to aim to love his wife as Christ loves the church even more? We've already touched on on much of this, that it means selflessness. It means sacrifice. It means putting someone else's needs before our own. It means being a loving and caring protector. It means doing all that is in our power to help our partner, to grow in holiness, to grow in Christ-likeness, to help us together to do the same. But yet again here, Paul adds colour to all of this in his statement in verse 29. He says, After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. Now those two words there, feeds and cares, are described in, in one of the commentaries I looked at as being from the language of the nursery that are charged with affection. The first word, translated feeds, means actually much more than than physically feed. It means to nurture, as you would a baby or a small child. It means to look after the needs of the whole person, to be devoted to physical, emotional and spiritual well-being. The second word, care, is a a translation of a word that actually literally means to heat. And the idea that it carries is to cherish, to comfort, to hold in a warm embrace. It means to tenderly care for. And you see, this is the way that husbands are called to love their wives, to relate to their wives. Husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loves his people, his church. So they're called to give everything, to do anything they can, to care for their wives, to nurture them, and to help them to grow in Christ. And this can only be done as we are filled with the Spirit of God. But you know, it can be done. It certainly can be done better as we're filled and empowered by the Spirit. Men can live like this and can love like this. You know, women are called to submit to their husbands. We've talked about that, to give a place of leadership to their husbands. And again, that's enabled by the Spirit. But you know how much easier it is to give that kind of place of leadership to someone you know loves you, cares for you, and values you in the way that Paul sets out here. Christian marriages are supposed to be the richest and deepest relationships on the face of this earth. They are supposed to point 
to Christ's love. They're supposed to be living demonstrations, outworkings of his love. And Christians can have marriages like this. It's God's will that we should have. But we can only have this as we turn from sin, turn from self, turn from this world's values and standards and turn to God and ask him to fill us with his spirit. Ask him to guide us and direct us that we might live out that filling of the spirit in every area of our lives. And certainly, including our marriages. Let's just turn to God now. Father, as we read your word, we're aware of the battle that we're faced with in life, that that is that battle between the flesh and the spirit, because as we see what you call us to by your spirit, we're just so aware of how far short in our flesh so often we fall. But Lord, we thank you that fall that we might, that there's always a new beginning. You're always ready to lift us up again. You're always ready to give us new guidance and direction and power. You're always ready to take us on in that journey towards being a people that reflect your glory. Lord, we pray as husbands and wives, maybe as people who one day will be husbands or wives, we pray you'll help us to live by your standards and not by this world's. We pray that you'll help us to know that we've got to continuously seek you, commit ourselves, seek the filling of the Spirit, seek to be obedient in every area, that we have to do this if we're to be the people that you've called us to be. Lord, help us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.